Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For those of you who are joining us once again after listening to my most recent episode about China's concentration camps, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to those episodes. I appreciate all of you who spent the time sending me DMs about it afterwards. Thank you so much. Uh, For this week's episode, uh, the main topic will be about Neuralink. And in my second segment, I will have my guest for the week. And the third segment, I'll have my reaction to my guest. Uh, But before we get into all of that, uh, first, I want to say, if you are not already, please follow me on Instagram at Independent Thought. It's the best place to keep up with my podcast. I post things to my story daily. So please follow me on Instagram. So now let's dive into the episode. The topic of discussion this week is on Neuralink. So what exactly is Neuralink? How is it being implemented and what is it going to do? And most importantly, why are we talking about this? Why should you care? That should be probably how I should lead off with this, but that's how I'm gonna end with it. So that's how we're going with this. So Neuralink, why dedicate an entire episode or segment of an episode to this topic? Well, let's get into what it is. Neuralink is a brain-machine interface. So essentially what that means is that it is something that you would connect to your brain, which will essentially augment your experience. And so we'll get into a little bit further on what exactly that means. So this technology is currently being developed by Elon Musk. I know a lot of people know who he is, but if you don't know who Elon Musk is, he is currently the founder of SpaceX. You might've heard of that. It is a private space company, which is currently sending, um, sending, I'm not sure what exactly they sent, but they are sending things to Mars to take pictures. They're basically working in tandem with NASA, but on the private sense. And also Elon Musk is the founder of Tesla, which most people are familiar with, the electric car company. And Elon Musk is also the founder of PayPal, which he sold to eBay in, I think, I believe it was 2002 for the tune of a billion and a half dollars, which I think kind of started him off this on this path of becoming now the richest man in the world as he officially passed Jeff Bezos uh, just a few months back. And that was in large part due to the fact that uh, his company, Tesla, saw a 700% increase in their stock in 2020 alone. And why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because Tesla currently is 81% of the entire electric car market in the United States. And the current Biden administration that just took office uh, has said that it plans on administering what they call direct consumer rebates, which will encourage Americans to buy electric cars. They are trying to transition this country away from fossil fuels as far as transportation is concerned. And so the Biden administration plans on doing whatever it can to subsidizing electric cars going forward. Elon Musk being the direct beneficiary of this because he owns 80% of the current electric car market. And also a fun fact, because I always feel the need to point out notable corruption when I see it, Nancy Pelosi just recently invested over a million dollars herself into Tesla, which let's come back to this topic later, why it's okay for people in Congress to have stocks that they can directly affect by passing laws, which benefits the stocks that they're investing into. Let's come back to that topic later. It sounds fun. Anyway, so these tax credits and subsidies that will be going to Elon Musk are allowing him to basically now become the richest man in the world with an estimated net wealth of over $290 billion. And so how is Elon Musk spending some of his money? Well, his pet project right now is Neuralink. 
So let's talk about it. What is the richest man in the world spending his money on? So essentially, with this brain chip, Neuralink, in principle, what they're trying to do with it uh, has multiple stages. So let's talk about what they're doing first. The first thing that they are trying to address with Neuralink is being able to fix brain and spinal cord injuries. So it is their belief that when they are able to implement Neuralink, that Neuralink will be able to go into the brain and kind of correct uh, injuries that are currently there. And they think they can correct almost any injury with this, brain, with this chip. Uh, and that includes things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, if you have blindness in your eye, they believe that this chip will be able to correct that damage by using electrical signals. So they're not only that, but also uh, extreme deficiencies in spinal, in your spinal cord as well. So if you have paralysis, if you are quadriplegic, they believe that they should be able to correct that as well. Not only that, but if you are a person who's about to have a stroke, they think that they could prevent a stroke from happening. Also, they think it'll work well for epileptics because the Neuralink will be able to anticipate a seizure before it happens and then send out a counter pulse into your brain, which will counteract the seizure from ever happening, essentially curing epilepsy, not from essentially happening, but from you ever actually having a seizure. So I guess as far as you can be concerned, that is a cure, right? So the chip itself is about the size of a quarter, and it has little uh, metal strands that attach directly to your brain. And from what they say, this chip will be implanted by a surgical robot with some assistance from neurosurgeons. Uh, they are also developing the technology for said surgical robot. And streamlined what they're hoping to do is that the process should take under an hour and you could be able to do it at any major hospital so you could be able to go in get some general anesthesia have this procedure done and what they claim to be under an hour and afterwards you should be able to leave the hospital the exact same day and it should be entirely painless with just a small scar left over and they said if you have hair on the top of your head you might not see it whatsoever so that is the beginning stages of Neuralink. Uh, right now, they are essentially marketing it just as that. And they are currently doing trials on monkeys and pigs, which they have demonstrated the, just a couple months ago, uh, Elon Musk was showing kind of the differences between um, pigs who have Neuralink and pigs who had it and then had it removed because he's also saying that if any point in time you don't like Neuralink, it is very easy just to remove it. It's not a permanent integration with your brain. So the reason why I'm bringing this to you now, because you know we hear about futuristic technology all the time. So why, why is Neuralink a big deal, right? Well, Neuralink is becoming closer and closer to human trials. In fact, Elon Musk claims that he should have human trials beginning in under a year. And that's due in fact to the part that he's just recently been given what's called a breakthrough device designation, granted to him by the FDA in July of this past year in 2020. And so essentially what the breakthrough device designation means is that the FDA is working directly with a company to kind of like get them into a place where they can get it from the testing stages into a pre-market phase. So it's basically what the FDA will do for you to make sure that everything is safe right before the market is you know, ready to open up. So they are believing that they're gonna start bringing these into human beings very, very soon. And so it's hard to say you know, when you hear that part of it that this is a bad thing because why would anyone be against someone creating a brain chip that could uh, overcome any kind of disability, uh, any kind of you know, mental impairments? This is you know, categorically a good thing for society, and this should be a great advancement in technology. Uh, and it's not the first part that worries me per se. It's the part that comes next. 
because Neuralink is not just about um, brain and spinal cord injuries. Uh, Elon Musk has said that while the first iterations of Neuralink will be focused strictly on that, he has plans for what Neuralink will become after these first iterations are, uh, are essentially finalized and perfected. And so before we get into what the next thing is, uh, gotta explain a little bit why this is important from Elon Musk's perspective. So Elon Musk has been saying for years that he is deathly afraid of artificial intelligence. He has been seeing the advancements around Silicon Valley uh, in AI and how he believes that AI is just this giant um, Pandora's box that's about to be opened. He claimed that he actually uh, sat down with President Obama back while he was still in office and tried to explain to him um, essentially how AI could disrupt everything about human life once it essentially gets activated. It's one of those things where once it becomes self-aware, we're never gonna be able to kind of go back to life without it. And so after apparently years of trying to explain to people the dangers of AI, uh, Elon Musk decided that instead of trying to stop AI, that it was inevitable that artificial intelligence would pop up in our country. Instead of trying to avoid artificial intelligence, he thought it would be better if we just found a way to have a, a symbiosis, finding a way for human beings to merge with technology, essentially turning us into cyborgs, which he claims that we kind of already are, which he claims that you know the average human being is already so dependent on technology that we're already in the infant stages of being cyborgs. But I guess he wants to take it to the next level because the next level of Neuralink is essentially now what they're calling this brain machine interface. And so you'll be able in these later iterations of Neuralink, you'll be able to download information directly from the internet into your brain. Let me say that one more time. You'll be able to download information from the internet directly into your brain, like the matrix. Yes, like the matrix. And now when you hear things like that, I've heard things like this before, and you're like, oh, wow, that sounds like that'll be a crazy future we might live in. This isn't technology that he feels is that far away. In fact, he is saying that he plans to have Neuralink have these capabilities before this decade's over. So by the time we get to 2030, he thinks that it will be very common for people to have Neuralink implanted into them and that you should be able to download information straight to your brain via Neuralink. But not only that, you know, he explains that, you know, this is something that people are going to actively want to do because of the simple fact that, you know, for those who are able to integrate Neuralink into their minds, they'll have such an advantage over the average person that it will create kind of this chasm in the marketplace between people who have Neuralink and people who don't have Neuralink. And that it'll just be obvious that employers will want to have people who have Neuralink already implanted because they'll be able to do more than the average person will be able to do, essentially creating an idea that they'll never have to really you know, force anyone to ever get Neuralink because you'll want to have Neuralink because of all of the advantages that come with having Neuralink including being able to stream music into your head or watch movies in your head, the ultimate VR experience. Not only this, but the thing that they are also saying is that you'll be able to download your memories onto a cloud. So essentially, all of your memories in your brain can be interpreted via electrical signals. And they believe that Neuralink will be able to take these electrical signals and kind of implant them onto the cloud so that you can just download any memory that you ever have, not just visually, but all of your senses. And so that at any point in time, you could take them and store them somewhere else. But the fun fact here is that you can not only just store your memories and your thoughts on the cloud, but that you could also edit them. So that if you wanted to, and this is where the kind of the men in black experience comes in here, you could 
change your perception of your reality by going into it to a memory after you've had it changing it and putting it back into your head and so in your mind that will be your new reality this new memory that you edited for yourself and if i sound like i'm talking crazy right now it's because this does sound crazy Let, let's just call it what it is this sounds absolutely insane but I'm bringing this all to you because this is not technology that's 20, 30, 40 years away. Like I said a little bit earlier, this is technology that's 10 years away. And so not only are you going to have memories that you can edit, but they believe he believes that there will no longer be the need for people to talk to each other verbally anymore because he'll be able to create this universal language that people can communicate with each other uh, via their minds, essentially telepathically, through a universal computer language so that you don't have to speak with your mouth anymore unless you want to. So, and if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, maybe Elon Musk is just crazy, maybe he just thinks he can do more than he, you know, than he actually can do, I want you to also know that he's not the only one working on brain-machine interfaces. This is technology that's also being worked on by Facebook right now, as well as other AI assistant tools. One of them in particular is called TLDR that Facebook is working on right now. So Elon Musk is not the only one working on this technology. So real question here, is it safe? Elon Musk, says that just like Tesla, he plans on going way beyond minimum safety requirements and making this as safe as absolutely possible. And he's dumping most of his money. Not, I'm sorry, not most of his money, but he's, he's dumping a lot of his time into Neuralink. In fact, if you go onto his Twitter page, just, I, just in the last couple of days, he is actively recruiting people to work for Neuralink on his personal Twitter account just recently. So this is a very, this is a project that I feel like he's more invested in than his other companies right now. Um, so he plans on making it very safe, but here's the, here's the question that I really have. You know, if you're downloading information from the internet into your minds, well, just like any other form of the internet, it's susceptible to being hacked. And I'm obviously not the only person who thought of this because referencing articles brought up by Forbes and the Daily Mail and the BBC, uh, Neuralink is on their minds as well, where you know people who work for those uh, publications are also asking Elon Musk these same questions. Can Neuralink be hacked? And if so, can thieves steal your thoughts, your memories, potentially alter them? Could someone steal a memory that you're having, change it and then put it back for fun? to troll you or for a more sinister reason. You know, the, the question really is, you know, like should anyone have the power, the capability to go into your mind? I, I, you know, like we are living in a time right now where, you know, if you were to run the clocks 50, 60 years, the people of that era would think that it's crazy that we walk around with these cell phone devices that have the ability to record every conversation that we're having, uh, look at every picture that we take, uh, how all the information that we share on social media, we're so numb to it, but to people decades ago, that would be an insane invasion of privacy, but we've all come to normalize this behavior now. Are we going to normalize the behavior 10 or 15 years from now that it's okay for companies to have access to our thoughts, to our emotions, to cherished memories? Is that what we're headed towards because as of right now you know authorizations like the patriot act the national defense authorization act uh just in the united states alone they give the u.s government the authority to essentially spy on anyone uh via technology that they choose to and they don't really need that much justification for it in some instances they need a warrant but in others they really don't the U.S. government has access to all of our information right now. They can spy on us whenever they choose to. They don't really need a reason for it. And, you know, a lot of people have kind of just gotten over that with the simple idea of, you know, I have nothing to hide. So why is it a big deal? And maybe it's not a big deal when they're looking at your pictures or looking at your videos. But I'm terribly worried about 
you know, people having access to our minds on that level. And I would hope that other people would be frightened about this too. You know, when you think about the fact that while some people I'm sure wouldn't do anything nefarious with that kind of access, we know just from people like Edward Snowden that there are those in the government who would take that power and abuse it. So where is the ethical lines here? And, and this really comes into the reason why I brought this up. Uh, because if this technology is really as close as Elon Musk claims it's going to be, uh, and it is as invasive as they are planning on it being, we're talking about having, uh, you know, having the company of Neuralink itself, yes, but I'm sure the governments of the world will want to have access to what Neuralink has access to, which is essentially anyone's thoughts, anyone's memories, could you imagine the implications of a more sinister government having access to something like this? What if there was an atrocity that was committed in a country, you know, um, in, let's say, like in Yemen, for instance, and the government of that country wanted just to wipe the minds of everyone who was there so they wouldn't remember what the government actually did or what some other body did? They could have access to do something like that, theoretically, with how this, with how this program is being crafted. That is insane. They could just wipe their minds clean and no one will ever remember what happened. I want everyone's thoughts on this. After listening to this, you know, as always, don't just listen to what I have to say. Please go do your own research. There are videos about Neuralink on YouTube. There are articles uh, about Neuralink all over the internet. Uh, Neuralink themselves have uh, a pretty easy website to navigate. Uh, Elon Musk himself has talked about this on the Joe Rogan experience uh, through several interviews that you can find online. Uh, please go do your own research, but tell me, how do you feel about Neuralink? Because it could very well be that if not Neuralink specifically, this idea of this brain machine interface could be a part of our very, very close future. Of, of a distant cousin of the matrix could literally be coming a part of our lives. So I wanna know what you all think about this. Um, should we be worried? I think we should be. I think we need to discuss the ethical implementations of technology like this ahead of time, because what I'm really afraid of and how I'm gonna end this segment is that we're gonna get so caught up with all the cool things that you can do with technology like Neuralink that we're not gonna stop and realize all of the nefarious uh, repercussions that can come with technology like this until it's already too integrated into our everyday lives to really turn back. And so with that being said, uh, please take some time to go look at Neuralink for yourself. Tell me how you feel about it. And I will most definitely be coming back to this topic again in the future. But for now, we will be taking a break from Neuralink and we'll be taking a break in this podcast. And when I come back, I will have my guest for the week. Stay tuned. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. 
Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us for another episode of Independent Thought. For today's episode, my guest is Allison Adam Buskey. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Allison is someone who I've been following on Instagram for quite some time. She's someone who's barely, you know, um, involved in just environmental law, something that she's going to school for right now. And I'll definitely let her tell you more about that in a second. But one of the reasons I had her come on today was because she was telling me that she's currently going through the U.S. immigration process which is something that we hear a lot about in the news, but we don't often get to really hear like a first person account for what exactly that process is like. So I was hoping to kind of like have you tell us a little bit more about your personal experience, like dealing with trying to become a citizen of our country. Okay, well, um, so I graduated law school actually two years ago and I went, I came to the US on a visa that was uh, just for students. And I wanted to stay in the US after graduated. So I extended my visa, uh, but I was able to do that for just one year. Um, and after that, we had to find a solution. Um, and as uh, I am very lucky and I fell in love with someone here, uh, when I went to law school in Vermont, um, we got married in May. And so um, I asked for the lawful permanent residency, which is basically the green card. And so this um, process was based uh, on marriage. Um, so basically I was petitioned by my spouse. Um, we started the process in June because we got married just like the last day of uh, May and we started in June and I just got my green card. So it took me like six months, something like this. And it was uh, fast. Apparently, even my attorney told me that, uh, especially during COVID times, it was not supposed to go that fast. So we feel blessed and grateful for everybody uh, around us. It was not uh, easy, but still a little bit faster than expected. So. Yeah. yeah, it definitely seems that way. I mean, I know that a lot of people that I've just heard first person accounts of saying that their uh, time trying to, you know, get a green card would sometimes would take years for other people. So six months does seem really fast. But just for yes. people who don't quite know, what is the difference between like having a green card and being a citizen? So it's different. So usually um, you have a green card before becoming a citizen of the US. So that's the first necessary step to becoming a citizen. And so for example, uh, in two years, I can renew my green card. And then in three years, I can apply to become a citizen through the process of naturalization. Um, so it's gonna take still a while for me to be a citizen. And so the difference, um, there are like several differences, but most likely when you are, when you are a green card holder, you can be deported if you commit a crime or like espionage, for example, as if you are a US citizen, no, you can't be deported um, on that. Um, also, when you have a green card, uh, you don't have a passport, a US passport. As US citizens, they get the US passport. And okay. the, the, yeah, and so that's, um, you need to use uh, your, for example, for me, I'm French and I use uh, my green card and my French passport if I want to go back to France or go back to the US. And in the, the most, for the most important part uh, for me, <laughs> it's uh, when you have a green card, you can't vote. And actually, if you try to vote, that action can make you deportable. So really? don't try to vote if you, <laughs> yes, don't mess with like the vote system if you are 
just a green card holder. And as uh, when you got naturalized, if, when you became a citizen after, you can vote. I see. And you were telling me before that voting was something that you seemed really passionate about as far as like voting in our elections. Like what is it about, um, I guess, our political system that made you want to get more engaged with it? Well, the thing is that now um, I've been living in the U.S. for three years and a half. And so I live here and I am a part of the local life and the local communities, uh, businesses. And so I want my voice to be heard. Um, so for me, it's really important to have uh, my opinion taking into account where I live. I mean, like everybody else. <laughs> right. No, definitely. And just for reference sake, uh, I, I usually ask this to people when they come on the podcast for the first time. Uh, but what part of the country do you live in? Uh, I live in Bozeman, Montana. Okay. So how has your, I guess you would say like, you know, moving from France, because you were born and raised there, right? Yes. So how has it been, you know, move, I mean, living in France, and then moving to a place like Montana, like, has there been like a huge culture shock? Or, or is it not that big of a deal? Like, how do you feel about what you've experienced in the US so far? Well, I moved first to Vermont, because I went to Vermont Law School for their program in environmental law. And as uh, we were um, a, uh, a small village where the law school is in Vermont, and it's a really progressive um, law school. So um, it was a big change for me, especially for food. <laughs> uh, but uh, people were still super open-minded and I was among people that were, was, were almost thinking approximately the same with me. So it was like a buffer in between France and then the rest of the US because after when I traveled, <laughs> yeah, because like the US is like so big, it's like so many different states and cultures in one block that is actually like everybody's different, every uh, state is different. And so it's hard to compare the whole US with France because right. there are lots of different uh, cultures everywhere and state of mind. Uh, but I was lucky enough to be in Vermont and actually it was super cool and I loved it. And then I moved to Bozeman uh, after two years of law school. And Bozeman is actually also very progressive. So like in France. Um, so for me, it was not that much of a change because I was in this, these areas, but traveled throughout the US, um, road tripping, et cetera, especially during COVID. And I saw like the other side of the US yeah. where people think like exactly the opposite <laughs> as me. Uh, even though I knew that it's good to talk with people and to engage and to try to understand. And so I think if I had been, for example, in like, let's say South Dakota in the small town, I would have been more homesick, I guess. Right. Then, like now, where I'm in Bozeman, Montana, it's it's totally different. And even just like if you drive, uh, I don't know, just thirty minutes away from town in Bozeman, it's not the same at all. Um, no, no, definitely isn't. Uh, <laughs> those who don't live in but, Montana, uh, Bozeman and Missoula are pretty, uh, pretty isolated little bubbles. Yes. Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, next to that, uh, I what I like in the US that in France, sometimes I'm a little bit complaining about is that in the US people are optimistic and um, they are open mind, like open minded even more than in France, because I think maybe it's the heritage of the American dream, you know, where you think that you can do a lot just in your life, lifetime and you think and, and you are right because you can do that. And so the possibility of you doing things and creating things is uh, more possible here than in France. And that's what I love about the US. Yeah, you know, that was something that we were talking about earlier. And I was surprised to hear you say that I didn't realize there was such a, a pessimism, you know, about, um, <laughs> you know, about your about France. But, you know, one yep. of the things you were saying was that um, you were kind of directly referring to your pursuit of environmental law. Uh, tell me more about that. Like, what is it about, um, you know, environmental policy in particular that made you think that, you know, like, I want to go to school for that? 
Well, um, since I'm young, um, I've been really, I, I've, sorry, since I'm a child, um, my parents always taught me how to be kind to nature, meaning not having a big footprint. And um, I think I've always had that in mind. And so when I discovered that I could create policies or uh, make laws and everything and or just defend someone uh, who wants to have a clean hair or clean water, I was like, okay, I want to do that. And the thing is that in France, I wanted to do that, but France is great. And um, I love the European Union too, but I felt like if I was moving to the US, the US is so big and so powerful on the like on the political and diplomacy standpoint that I was like, okay, if I want to make an impact, I've done what I had to do in France and now I want to move to the US to learn um, their kind of law, the common law, that is very different, different from the French law. And um, that's why I moved to the US and I was like, okay, I want to see what I can do there. And that's where I went to the Vermont Law School because that's the best law school for environmental law. Oh, okay. And what was your time like there? I mean, did you, were you able to kind of like get involved in any like legislative processes? Like what were you able to kind of do while you were in Vermont? Yeah, actually it's, um, it's a really good question because yeah, I was a senator, a senator for the LLM program. So basically we had the Senate and we were gathering every other week and we were voting on a lot of different topics. So for example, something that I really had my voice heard on was uh, we had a cafeteria at school and I wanted everything to be going to compost and not have certain brands in the cafeteria that I won't cite here, but the law school was still using and I was like, no, we are an environmental law school, sorry. And I would like us to not use this brand that we all know is really bad with our employees and really bad with the planet. Yeah. Um, so some kind of details that I wanted to have done, for example, using reusable uh, cutlery and plates instead of just paper plates, even if paper is still better than plastic, although it depends. <laughs> so uh, I was um, fighting more for little things like this, that I think that if everybody fight for little things like this daily, we can make um, a big change. So yeah, yeah I was involved with that. Um, and I was also in the environmental law society. Yeah, no, that's something that I'm always preaching about when it comes to environmental, you know, policies. Cause I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I speak to somebody who's not so keen on, you know, trying to be more environmentally conscious, like they always say like, oh, well, even if we did all these things, you know, we would still only reduce it by so much. It's just like, I just don't think that's a really great way of looking at, you know, your particular impact on society. I mean, I feel like if we all do a little bit, we can make, have a traumatic effect on, you know, like reducing our, our footprint onto this world, especially from an environmental standpoint. Even if it's doing something as little as using reusable bags when you go to the grocery store instead of getting plastic or paper bags. I mean, I feel like that just in and of itself, that one little act can go a long way. You know, since you've been in this country, uh, I'm sure you've run into people who feel differently than you as far as uh, climate is concerned. Um, what has it been like, you know, kind of like interacting with people who kind of like just don't take climate change seriously or people who just don't think about environmental policies seriously at all? Well, what I notice here, especially in the US, is that when uh, people don't believe in climate change, it's not about science, it's more about politics because everything here is political, like it's either black or white. And um, so it's, uh, it can be frustrating to, to talk with someone like this, but I think it's good and it's a good exercise because um, I think the, the more we hear the people's voice, the better we can understand each other. Um, so yes, of course, I encountered a lot of people and actually even in France, 
but here, yes, a lot. And so the thing that I could say is like going about the science, talking about the carbon dioxide and the fact that um, humans and human activities in the in industrial age uh, produce carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide and all of the other like green uh, greenhouse gases, uh, greenhouse gases, and okay, they are going to say yes, but even without us, um, the climate will get warmer. But I, I can just say, yeah, of course it will get warmer, but really slowly. And since the industrial age, it was exponentially like it just exploded. And so even for example, if they don't trust me, I can say. Do you trust NASA? Because NASA, like they have so many different topics and so many different data that they collected and they have proof that humans is contributing to global warming uh, or just climate change is real. Um, but so I could go on and on and like, uh, like just citing data and everything, but if they don't want to believe in science, like I, I think I would try to say something uh, personal something that they like they are touched by and so I would talk about their, their life and if they have children or if they want to have children one day I would ask what their future look like like what do you want for your kids to see or to live where do they want uh, what do you want them to live and I would ask in their life, lifetime what changes they have seen because for example, for me, something really striking, um, I was lucky enough to grow up in the south of France near the sea. And when I was young with my parents, I was going to the beach during the summer, during the winter, and I was seeing a lot of shell on the beach and in the water, a lot of fish. And now when I go back, it's just plastic and garbage and old shoe and really gross stuff everywhere. And I'm like, it's kind of sad and I want my my kids to see fish in the ocean and in the sea. And so I think I would touch them on what they want for their future. Um, and if they don't want kids, <laughs> I would say, good, that's a really good environmentally friendly <laughs> idea. <laughs> but yeah, it, it can be frustrating, but it's very good to have these kind of discussions to understand the point of view of everybody and that's how we can be stronger and work together i couldn't have said it better myself i mean kind of just to close out this this conversation i think it's absolutely crazy that you know so many people just turn a blind eye to the devastation we're kind of laying to this planet just out of sheer laziness and that's all it is it's laziness mm -hmm. it's you know like saying oh it's not my problem as the oceans fill up more and more with our trash that we refuse to just dispose of more correctly. You know, it's, we're poisoning our planet. We're poisoning our body with food that isn't really good for us. It's, it's terrible. We really need a, a huge course correction if we're going to leave anything for the next generation. But Allison, thank you for coming on to the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, before we close out for the day, just uh, please tell everyone uh, where they can find you on social media in case they want to have a conversation with you about the environment. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me again. Um, and so you can find me on Instagram. And my Instagram is Save the Planet with Alisonet. Yes, that's my sister who found <laughs> that really funny to, to write. So you can find me on that. And uh, yeah, just come talk to me and we can talk about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics and about diet too, because uh, I'm vegan, so I can help you to, to have a lesser impact on the planet by being, being vegan or at least uh, having everything local. So yeah, please uh, hit me up. Thank you so much. And for those who are interested, I will have her Instagram uh, handle in the episode notes. So just scroll up to the episode notes and you'll see them there. To everyone else, uh, we were going to take one more quick break and I'll be back with my final thoughts of the day. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through the break. 
Uh, we are now coming to the conclusion of this episode of Independent Thought. If you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. I know that there are certain platforms like Spotify, which if you're listening to this on Spotify right now, they are not the best about uh, notifying people when new podcasts come out. They, for reasons unknown to me, um, aren't really great about their notifications. Uh, so if you are subscribed to us on Spotify, you know, you might not see our notifications pop up when we get new episodes, but if you are subscribed to us on Apple, they thankfully have the coveted push notification that does pop up if you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. So thank you for that. And if you did like this episode or episodes previous to this, I would ask you to please consider donating to our Patreon account that I just created. All donations that go to the Patreon uh, do go right back into the podcast itself to help me improve the overall experience of this podcast. So with that being said, I first want to say thank you to my guest from this week, Allison. I really appreciated you coming on. Uh, you and I have been talking on Instagram before we did this episode and since we've done this episode because we recorded this a few weeks back. So thank you again for coming on. I really appreciated our conversation and I hope to have you on again in the future. Um, Allison kind of referenced in this segment uh, some of the uh, processes that she had to deal with getting um, going through the immigration system. It sounds like Allison had a little bit of an easier time going through the immigration process than others have, uh, just from what I've heard in the news and other people that I've talked to. But I think that kind of illustrates kind of a spectrum here where the immigration process really is not the same for everyone who goes through it. So I'm sure that everyone's experience is different, uh, which is why I wanted to kind of like have her come on and talk about it. Cause I feel like we don't really ever hear a full spectrum of what the immigration process is like for a lot of people. So I was glad that she was able to come on and kind of tell her side of the story as far as that was concerned. And also I loved hearing her talk about uh, her pursuit of environmental law, because as we go through a time of coronavirus, you know, a mass pandemic um, that is, ravaging our world right now. Uh, we, well, I just, I don't know we, but a lot of people I know, you know, have a hard time remembering the fact that climate change is also ravaging our world right now. Uh, unfortunately, you know, coronavirus has dominated everyone's thinking with the way it's transformed all of our lives. Hopefully we'll be able to turn the page on this pandemic soon so that we can put more of a focus back onto the other thing that is destroying our planet. Um, well, our laziness, more or less. I think a lot of the climate change issues that we are facing right now can be corrected with just some minor tweaks in our behavior. Uh, I think that we've become a little too accustomed with damaging our environments without really thinking about the repercussions. And there are little things that we can all do that will have a monumental effect if enough people get involved. I know that it's hard as an individual to think that you have an effect on climate change, because if you look at statistically, one person cannot. But if enough of us all band together and do a little bit each, it would have a devastatingly good impact on the planet. Something as simple as, like I was saying in the last segment, just buying a reusable bag look, no one cares. You know, you don't look like a weirdo for having a reusable bag. No one actually cares. Take that reusable bag, go into the grocery store. It, it just, just that little act alone of not using a plastic bag or a paper bag anymore could have such a great profound impact for our planet. And there are several other little things that we can all do to help the planet. And hopefully, as I was referencing in the first segments, as time goes on and electric cars are becoming more and more a thing and they are affordable, we can all invest into electric cars and finally put you know, fossil fuel vehicles into the past where they belong. Uh, but that technology still needs to progress and more or less it needs to become more affordable. Um, so with that being said, you know, 
I will transition away from that topic and then just finally speak on Neuralink one more time before we end this episode. I know that, you know, I always try to talk about like, what can you do about information that I've presented in the podcast? And I, and I think in regards to Neuralink, uh, the best thing that anyone can do is just to continue to have these conversations. Um, it sounds like technology like that inevitably will um, will probably come into our lives. I think the most important thing as it does though, is that we are all very vigilant about the all of the different um, essentially freedoms that we are sacrificing in order to have technology like that. As long as we are able to have these conversations and that we have all the knowledge that we need to, to have honest conversations, you know, maybe we can put some safeguards into place so that technology like that cannot be used in super nefarious ways that I was referring to earlier. Uh, so the most important thing I feel as though is that we continue to have these conversations. So please do your own research, share information that you find, feel free to share this episode of the podcast with people that you know to kind of bring up this topic because it'll probably be here sooner than you think. And as always, I'll try to leave you with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, where he says that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that, and hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so I will hope that all of you will take some of this negative information that I've given you today uh, and try to find the light inside of it. Uh, Thank you to everyone who listened to the episode today. I will see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in.